0: Volume One, Chapter Six of The Old Manor House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Julia Lenarden. The Old Manor House by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume One, Chapter Six. Another and another evening Orlando attended at the turret, and the apprehensions of Menimbia decreased in proportion, as her reason, aided by her confidence in him, taught her that there was, in reality, little to fear from the interposition of supernatural agency. The dread of being discovered by people in the house, however, still interrupted the hours which passed with imperceptible rapidity while they were together. This might happen a thousand ways, which Monimia was ingenious in finding out, while Orlando was sometimes successful, and sometimes failed in ridiculing those apprehensions, which he could not always help sharing. The mind of the innocent Minimia had been till now like that of Miranda in her desert island. To her, the world that was past, and that which was now passing, were alike unknown, and all the impressions that her infant understanding had received tended only to confirm the artificial influence which her aunt endeavoured to establish over her imagination. Her poverty, her dependence, the necessity of earning her subsistence by daily labour, had been the only lessons she had been taught, and the only hope held out to her that of passing through life in an obscure service." But she had learned now that, abject poor as she was, she was an object of affection to Orlando, who seemed in her eyes the representation of divinity. The reading he had directed her to pursue had assisted in teaching her some degree of self-value. She found that to be poor was not disgraceful in the eye of heaven, or in the eyes of the good upon earth and that the great teacher of that religion, which she had been bid to profess, though very little instructed in it, was himself poor, and the advocate and friend of poverty. In addition to all this knowledge so suddenly acquired, she had lately made another discovery. Her aunt had always told her that she was a very plain girl, had a bad person, and was barely fit to be seen. But since the marriage of the servant who had lived in the hall during the infancy of Minimia, Betty Richards, the under housemaid, had been ordered to do the little that Minimia was allowed to have done in her room. Mrs. Leonard had taken her from the parish offices as an apprentice, and having long seen her only in her coarse gown and nailed shoes, and observed in her manner only a great deal of rustic simplicity, had not in the least idea that under the semblance she concealed the cunning and the vanity of a country coquette, and that the first week she passed in Mrs. Ryland's family had called forth these latent qualities. She was a ruddy, showy girl, with a large but rather a good figure, and her face was no sooner washed, and her hair combed over a roll, than she became an object which attracted the attention of the great Mr. Pattinson himself, "'who, proceeding in the usual way by which he had won the favour "'of so many of the subaltern nymphs in Mrs. Rayland's kitchen, "'began to make her many presents, and to talk of her beauty. "'And as she could not forbear repeating all these extravagant expressions of his admiration, "'Minimia could as little help reflecting, "'though she was somehow humbled as she made the comparison, "'that if Betty was so handsome... "'she could not herself be so ugly "'as her aunt had always represented her. "'The fineries which her new friend received, "'Minimia beheld without any wish to enjoy such herself. "'Though on Betty, a poor girl bred in a workhouse, "'they had a most intoxicating effect. "'They were given under the strictest injunctions of secrecy, "'which was tolerably well observed towards the rest of the house. "'And the finery,' which at first consisted only of beads and ribbons, was reserved for Sunday afternoons, and put on at a friend's cottage near a distant church. But it was not in female nature to conceal these acquisitions from Anemia, and it was in her drawers that they were often deposited, when there was reason to apprehend that the little deal-box, which had till lately been amply sufficient for the check apron and linsey woolsey gown of Betty, might not safely conceal the ribbon's colour of emperor eyes the flowered shawls the bugle necklaces and caps with a new edging to them which she now possessed sometimes when betty obtained leave to go out and thought that mrs leonard being engaged with her lady and the other servants gone different ways she should escape unnoticed across the park she persuaded Minimia, who knew not how to refuse her anything to let her dress at her little glass. And there the progress of rural coquetry had full power to display itself. She tried on her various top-knots, disposed her hair in a thousand fanciful ways, and called to Monimia for her opinion which of them was most becoming. Appealing for the authority of these variations to a certain pocket-book, "'presented her also from the same quarter, "'which represented in one of its leaves six young ladies in the most fashionable headdresses "'for 1776. "'Minimia, with all her ingenuous simplicity, "'had sense enough to smile at the ridiculous vanity of the girl, "'and to know that her accepting of all this finery "'from the old butler was quite wrong. "'But she also felt that to reprove her for it "'would look like envy.' and that to remonstrate would probably be vain. She contented herself, therefore, with keeping as much out of her confidence as she could, and had reasons enough of her own, which were continually strengthened by the exhortations of Orlando, for keeping her from being a too frequent visitor in her room. But the remarks she made upon all this, and upon the numberless circumstances in the house which Betty related to her, no longer left her in her original ignorance. In a great house there are among the servants as many cabals and as many schemes as among the leaders of a great nation, and few exhibited a greater variety of interests than did the family of Mrs. Rayland. Mrs. Leonard at once hated, feared, and courted Pattison, who, having been taken a boy from the plough, had been gradually promoted, till he became the favourite footman of the elder Mrs. Rayland, who, on the death of an old man who had long occupied that post, made him butler, where he was supposed to have accumulated, in the course of five-and-twenty years, a great deal of money, was known to have several sums out at interest, and had bought two or three small farms in the county, with the approbation of his lady, whose favour had never once failed him, though various attempts had been made to injure him, in her opinion, by complaints of his amours. Though he was a perfect Turk in morals, and though in his advanced life he rather indulged than corrected his propensity to libertinism, he had hitherto contrived to escape his lady's wrath, and indeed knew that nobody but Mrs. Leonard or the old coachman had, among the domestics, interest enough to shake her good opinion of him and of both the one and the other, though aware that neither of them bore any good will, he was tolerably secure. How the prudent and guarded Mrs. Leonard came to be in his power was never fully understood, but in his power she certainly felt herself, for though they were in habits of frequent squabbling about trifles, which indeed with the lady seemed necessary to break the tedious uniformity of her life, Yet, whenever she found Mr. Pattison really angry, she, albeit unused to the condescending mood, began to palliate and apologize, and peace was generally made over some nice thing and some fine old wine by way of a petit soupe in Mr. Pattison's parlour after Mrs. Rayland was gone to bed. The old coachman, who was the other favourite servant, "'was always a third in these peacemaking meetings. "'He was a man grown unwieldy from excess of good living, "'and more than seventy years old. "'But he possessed an infinite deal of cunning "'and knew how to get and how to keep money, "'with which it was his ambition to portion his two daughters "'and to marry them to gentlemen. "'And his dealings in contraband goods, "'as Rayland Hall was only eight miles from the coast,' and his having the management of the great farms in hand, and his concern in buying and selling horses, were together supposed to have rendered this object of ambition an easy attainment. Of deeper sagacity than the other two, he foresaw that the time could not be far distant when Rail and Hall, and all the wealth that belonged to it, must change its possessor. It was a plan of Mrs. Leonard and Pattinson to enjoy and to secure all they could now, and to be well assured of a very considerable legacy hereafter. But old Snellcraft had further hopes, and for that reason, though he had at first opposed as much as he could the reception of Orlando, and since expressed displeasure towards him, he of late had in his head floating visions of the probability there was that, If Orlando came into the estate, he might marry his favorite daughter, Miss Patty Snellcraft, who would have such a fine fortune, and was, as her father believed, the very extract of all beauty. Ridiculous and chimerical as such a project was, the old man, in the dotage of his purse-proud vanity, believed it not only possible, but probable, for though he knew that Mrs. Rayland would have disinherited her own son for entertaining such an idea for a moment, yet he saw that Mr. Orlando had no pride at all, and he was pretty sure, from the arrangements that he believed were made as to money, that, great as the sum of ready money would perhaps be that Mrs. Rayland might leave behind, none of it would be suffered to go to Mr. Orlando." Miss Patty Snellcraft was, as this precious plan got more entirely the possession of her father's imagination, taken from a boarding-school at a neighbouring town, and one luckless day brought to church in all the finery which she had there been accustomed to wear. But the effect was very far from that her parents intended, who expected that Madam would have sent for her to the hall, as she used to do at breaking up, and have commended her beauty and elegance, instead of which Mrs. Rayland no sooner arrived at home than she sent for Robin, as she still called her old servant, who now was seldom able to mount the box himself, and asked if it was possible that the tawdry thing she had seen with his wife was his daughter. He answered in all humility that it was his eldest daughter, who, As she now finished her learning, he had taken home from boarding-school. "'Finished her learning!' exclaimed the old lady. "'And is that what she has learned? To dress herself out like a stage-player, like a Mountbanks doxy? Upon my word, Robin, I am sorry for you. I thought you and your wife had more sense. What?' "'Is that a dress for a sober girl "'who ought to be a help to her mother "'and to take care of her father in his old age?' "'She does, ma'am, Do both, I assure you,' "'answered Robin, terribly stung by this reproof, "'and is a very good and dutiful child. "'And as to her fineries, ma'am, and such like, "'you are sensible that I am not myself "'no judge of them their things, "'and my wife, I believe, thought, "'that, seeing how, by your goodness, and my long and faithful servants, "'we are well to pass, for our condition and circumstances and such like, "'there would not be no offence, some ever in dressing our poor girls, "'being we have but two, a little decent and neat, "'just to show that one is no beggar, "'after having served in such a good family so many years?' "'The lady, a little softened by this speech,' which was made in almost a crying tone of voice, replied, "'Well, well, good Robin, I know how to make allowances. "'But do you and your wife learn for future "'to make a more modest use of the means you are blessed with, "'and to never encourage your girls to vanity and extravagance? "'Here's Mary here, Leonard's niece, "'whom I give leave to be in the house.' "'Menimbia stood waiting all this time with the chocolate,' "'which the old lady always swallowed as soon as she came in from her devotions. "'She, I assure you, comes from parents that many people would call genteel, "'and yet, you see, it has pleased Providence to make her a dependent and a servant, "'and I never suffer her to stick herself out in feathers and flowers like a Mayday girl.' "'The lecture ended, and the old coachman withdrew.' extremely discontent that his patty had been compared to the housekeeper's niece, who was, as he muttered to himself, a mere pauper. And Monimia was not at all flattered by being brought forward as a comparison for Miss Snellcraft, whom the servants, and particularly Betty, had been turning into ridicule for her awkward finery and airs of consequence. Nor did the expression that she was born of parents whom some people would call genteel at all sweetened the bitterness of this comparison. Minimia, who had before in the course of the day received a severe mortification from her aunt in being refused leave to go to church, now, as soon as her service in waiting on Mrs. Rayland with the chocolate was performed, withdrew to her own room and indulged her tears. At length she recollected that, though all the rest of the world might despise and condemn her, "'The heart of Orlando was hers. "'She was secure of his affection. "'He would repeat it to her at night, "'when he had promised to fetch her to his room. "'And these reflections dried her eyes, "'and dissipated her sorrows. "'They even lent her a force to bear, "'without betraying her impatience, "'the intrusion of Betty Richards, "'who soon after asked leave to come in. "'Oh, Lord, my dear miss,' cried she, "'as soon as she entered the room, "'how we be shut up in this here old place "'like two singing birds in a cage! "'I've been trying to persuade old Jenny "'to let me take her turn this afternoon to go to church, "'and have promised to give her two turns for one. "'But the cross old witch says indeed "'she chooses to go herself. "'Oh, lud, lud, I'd give a little finger to go.' "'And why are you so eager to go today, Betty, "'more than any other afternoon?' "'Oh!' "'Gad,' replied the girl, "'for five hundred reasons. First, because it's so early "'that I could get away to West Wolverton Church "'with all the ease in the world, "'and tis such a sweet afternoon, "'and winter will be here now so soon. "'Besides that, "'but you must not tell for a hundred pounds. "'My good old fat sweetheart "'brought me home last night "'the most beautifulest bonnet, "'such as the milliner told him "'was worn by the tip-top quality in London.' "'and I'd die to wear it, "'and to go to West Wolverton Church in this very afternoon, "'for at ours, you know, "'I dares as well jump into the fire as put it on.' "'But why do your bonnet and your piety "'conspire to carry you so far just this very evening, Betty?' "'said Monimia, smiling. "'When both East Wolverton and Barrenwick "'have an evening church, "'and are not much more than half as far.' "'Oh, thereby hangs a tale.' "'What? You hadn't heard, then, I suppose, "'of all the great doings at West Wolverton?' "'This was the name of the village "'in which was situated the house of Mr. Summeriv.' "'Great doings!' repeated Minimia, changing colour. "'No, I have heard nothing.' "'Why, then, you must know, miss, "'that Mr. Orlando, who was not here last night—' Minimia knew it well, "'for they had agreed two nights before "'not to meet till the present evening.' Mr. Orlando, I say, came over about an hour ago, just as my lady came from church, and after walking backwards and forwards in his melancholy fashion, with a book in his hand, upon the broad pavement in the chapel court, which really oft-time writhes one's heart to see him, he went away to his study. For my part, I was sitting in the window upstairs for a moment, for I had just been making up my lady's fire before she came from church.' when all of a sudden I saw John Dickman, Squire Summeriv's groom, come riding up, so down I went to speak to him. He gived me a letter, which I carried into Orlando, who seemed monstrous surprised at it, as he was but that minute, as twere, come from home, and when I went back to the kitchen, John told me he was ordered to wait for this young master, for that Madame Summeriv's brother, the london merchant was come down with some of his family sons and daughters and the gentleman from some part beyond the sea who was to marry the eldest miss Summeriv, for he had got his father's consent and the wedding was to take place out of hand and so added betty who had almost talked herself out of breath and so as mr phil is out gone as he always is upon a visit to they newcomers up at the castle The squire, he ordered, John to fetch our Orlando out of hand home to entertain all his grand company. And he went," said Minimia in a faint voice, who had changed color a dozen times during this narration. "Oh, Lord, yes, to be sure, he went," replied Betty. Yet somehow he looked to me as if he had rather of stayed and hung about for some time, as though unwilling to go. "'Lord, sir,' said I, as I went to shut up his windows "'before he locked the study door. "'Lord, how strange it is you are not like the other young men, "'and never cares nothing for company and such like. "'He only sighed, a sweet creature, "'when I'm sure if all the grand lords and dukes "'and even the king and the prince of Wales "'and the archbishop of Ozenbeg "'and all his majesty's court were collected together,' "'There's not one of them to be compared to young Squire Orlando. "'Lord, what I would give to see all these gentle folks together at West Wolverton Church "'and that dear, sweet Orlando outshining them all!' "'And that was the reason,' said Minimia, in a still fainter voice, "'that you are satisfied with no church but West Wolverton. "'But after all, Betty, pray, are you sure these ladies and gentlemen will be there?' "'as sure as five pence, for John Dickman told me so. "'Oh, that I could but go! "'For Orlando, you know, miss, "'who is the sweetest-tempered, good-naturest creature in all England, "'would never tell if he saw one ever so smartly dressed. "'No, he gullies, he's more like to give one some trifle or other to help one out "'than to blab to get one anger.' "'Has he ever given you anything, Betty?' said Monimia, in a voice the tremor of which she could not disguise, for mingled with numberless other sensations, something like a half-formed jealousy and suspicious apprehension now entered her heart. Tell me, Betty, what has he ever given you? Why, I assure you, replied the girl pertly, not above a month ago neither, after he had been here for almost a fortnight, he called me to him, "'as I was a-dusting of them their guns and arrows and what-do-you-calls-em "'that hangs over the chimney in that parlour as you goes through to get to a study. "'And so,' says he, "'Betty, you've a good deal of trouble in cleaning of my room and making my fire, "'and perhaps your lady may not recollect it, "'and so may not make you a consideration for it. "'And therefore, Betty, I beg you'll accept this, "'and I wish I had it in my power to do better.' "'And if you'll believe me, miss, it was a brand new crown. "'Quite new, a crown piece, they told me it was. "'I would have given anything not to have changed it, "'but to have it laid up as a keepsake. "'But there, I had not money enough without it "'to buy my new cotton gown "'when Alexander McGill the Scotsman came here, "'and so away went my poor dear crown, "'though I had never have parted with one of my fingers. "'You did right, however,' "'said Monimia coldly. "'The gown you wanted, and the crown, I dare say, "'Mr. Orlando meant you should use.' "'I suppose he did, a dear creature. "'Lord a mercy, what would I give to have a peep "'at his sweet face this afternoon? "'I'll tell you what, miss, though you cannot go to church, "'nor I neither, we might tend to one "'see these gentlefolks ride by "'if we could but steal up to the other park, "'and so through the little common.' "'It is not much better than three miles, and we might not be missed.' "'No,' said Monimia dryly, "'I shall run no risk indeed of making my aunt angry. "'And besides, what would Mr. Summeriv, or Mr. Orlando, "'or any other of them think if they saw us there?' "'Hang their thoughts,' replied Betty. "'What would it signify to us what anybody thought, if we pleased ourselves?' "'I'll go and see in how the land lays.' "'and if the two old girls have done their dinner "'and are set down together to take their afternoon's dose. "'Do not come back then, Betty,' said Minimia, "'for I certainly will not go out without leave, "'and you know it nonsense to ask it. "'Therefore, if you like it, go. "'But I assure you, I shall not.' "'Having thus released herself from her inopportune visitor, "'Minimia sat down to consider all she had told her, that Orlando should quit the house without telling her, gave her at first extreme pain. Yet a moment's reflection convinced her that, unless he had made a confidant of Betty, of which he now saw all the danger, there was no possible way of his conveying to her intelligence of the sudden summons he had received from his father. For Mrs. Leonard was at home, and had shut herself up in her own room to do twenty little services, which he frequently chose to have performed on Sunday mornings. "'A thousand doubts now arose in the mind of Monimia, "'whether he would be able to call for her at night. "'A thousand apprehensions lest the people he was with, "'particularly his uncle's daughters, "'who he said were very pretty women, "'should estrange his thoughts from her "'and rob her of his affections. "'These fears were so acute "'that she was trying to drive them from her "'when Betty returned, "'and finding the door of her room fastened, tapped softly at it, and cried, Miss! Miss! Who will refuse to go into the park now? You have not surely got leave. No, nor I have not asked it. But the old ladies are heart set in to their good things. Madam has a gouty feel in her stomach all day, she says, and that's always a symptom for a double dose. And as to your aunt, she has been ailing too, and will not flinch her share, you know very well. Minimia, alarmed at this loud whisper, had opened the door before the end of this speech and let in her unwelcome companion, who now repeated that everybody was safely bestowed who could interrupt them, and that, as it was still very early, they might have a good chance of seeing some of these comers, and above all, Orlando, in their evening ride. But Minimia, who was displeased with the familiar way in which the girl named Orlando, and knew that he would object to her walking with her, assumed a virtue when she had it not. And though she believed they might safely go the way she proposed, and return before the hour when it was likely her aunt would want her, though she would have given half the world only for the chance of seeing Orlando at a distance, she positively refused, and had the resolution to see Betty set out by herself, with her new, most beautifulest bonnet pinned under her petticoat, which she proposed putting on when she got clear of the house and then Minimia, forcing her attention from what had the last few hours engaged it sat down to the sort of lesson which orlando had last marked for her and which she had promised to make herself mistress of before she saw him again though alas while she read the idea of the superior advantages enjoyed by the miss wolfert's his cousins their beauty and the probability there was that one of them might be intended for him, too frequently distracted her thoughts, and impeded her good intentions. End of Volume 1, Chapter 6 Recording by Julia Linardin